0: To another episode of Unfiltered. I'm your co host, Sam Jay. This week I headed over to Bear Creek Distillery to meet up again with our old buddy Jay Johnson and Debo, who made his first appearance ever on the show. Despite being a friend of Jay Schrader and I's for a long time, Jay and Debo are two of the three founders of Bear Creek. Obviously, Jay's been on the show a time or two. Um, We recapped a little bit of what we've talked about in the past, which is the history of Bear Creek. But We got into some somewhat emotional and serious talk towards the back end regarding small business and the impact that COVID-19 is having on small business and not the economy at large, but really the mom-and-pop shops that are really suffering in these moments. And we got serious about what we as craft spirit drinkers and beer drinkers and consumers should be doing, ought to be doing, to make things a little better so we hope that you'll enjoy this conversation it's always great to talk to to jay it's always great to see debo bear creek distillery is having success at a grand scale because of what those two bring to the table along with their co-founder jeff but we'll get into it i hope you'll enjoy the show and if you do like it leave us a review and rate us wherever you get your podcasts with that said let's get to it This episode is brought to you by Elon Naturals. Handcrafted in Boulder, Colorado, Elon's all-natural products are made with CBD extracted from colorado certified hemp. Ryan and Alec Nyberg, good friends of ours, founders and co-owners of Elon, as well as big supporters of craft beer, including being supporters of the Sip Beer Fest we did earlier this year, use no toxins, no chemicals, and only certified organic ingredients in everything that they make. Whether you're looking for bath bombs, foot soaks, lip balms, pain sticks, or tinctures, Elon has you covered. And they make pet products, too. Find Elon Naturals on Instagram and Facebook and place your order now at elonnaturals.com. When you do, plug in the promo code UNFILTERED20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Again, that's UNFILTERED20. Plug it in at checkout at elonnaturals.com for 20% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by Rooftech Precision Exteriors by a fourth generation roofing expert and two veteran general contractors roof tech combines unmatched residential and commercial roofing knowledge with project management excellence which means your next roofing project will not only be handled by those that know what they're doing but know how to complete your project without wasting your time find roof tech on instagram and facebook and learn more at rooftechco.com that's r-o-o-f-t-e-c-c-o.com and when you schedule your roof replacement project mention unfiltered and receive a free upgrade to impact resistant class 4 shingles i have no idea what that means but it sounds like it's a hell of a deal again that's rooftechco.com
1: so far uh so good it's a uh, it's just cool watching all that old footage of jordan yeah. and basketball from the late 80s yeah and just uh Hackfest, man. Dude, there were
2: some badass dudes that Ooh. played in that era.
1: The bad boys? Dude, I forget how much I loved the Pistons back then. The microwave? Yeah. I love that dude. Penny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – I was telling Kate, man, like, late 80s, you couldn't, you couldn't shake basketball out of my system.
0: Do you think that the game was more physical then or the guys are bigger now, if that makes sense?
1: I think the guys are bigger now, but the game was 100% more physical back then. It was – I mean, you got destroyed if you went to the hoop back then and barely any calls happened. It was before they started protecting Jordan. Yeah. As soon as they started protecting Jordan, everybody who came up after him, the game softened. Do you think LeBron would have been okay in the late 80s? I think he would have done fine. Yeah. He got so big so quick, yeah. he would have done fine, but he would have cut his teeth. I mean, just look at Jordan those first three years. You just look at his yeah. stature, his size, who he was as a he player. He was not little, but no, he, was,
2: he, wasn't, he was thin. Yeah,
1: and then you see – LeBron, same thing. You got in the league, you just get on the right training and the right regiment and you know, you just build and I think he would have done just fine. He's a big enough dude and he's a ball player, so he would have he would've he would have definitely excelled. Say what you want. I
2: mean LeBron has heart too, a ton of heart. So he's that kind of player. He's a lion.
0: I'm a I'm a LeBron fan, and I don't know Debo if you are, but like that's what I hated. That's the only thing I hated about the last dance was the commentary around it because twitter was just taking off espn of course right there's nothing else on tv so you got to have stephen a smith talking about whether or not lebron's better than jordan but um i'm a lebron fan too and i think uh i don't know i mean outside of the world of basketball we take for granted the fact that lebron's just a good person if yeah. that makes sense. he's right? never
2: been. He's never had a crossword. No dirt. No. Nothing. I mean, the only thing is the decision.
0: That's the, That's going to be his one check. Always
1: is that thing. But
0: I mean, had we had social media when Jordan was around, who knows?
1: Well, and just even the caliber of what the entertainment after you were off the court for those players back then was yes. as well, right? Like. Social media, as with any of us, thank uh-huh. goodness it wasn't around at a certain point in our life.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, if anybody hasn't figured it out yet, uh, no Jay Schrader today, but I am at Bear Creek Distillery with two of my good buddies, guys who have... And Debo, you've never been on the show before. This first time. Jay's been on a couple no? times. Yep. So I'm going to let you two introduce yourselves, and we'll do kind of a recap of what Bear Creek is, and then we'll jump into the present moment. So... Let you start, Dee.
1: Yeah, so Debo, um, I'm our uh, CEO and one of the co-founders here at Bear Creek Distillery. Um, yeah, passion project uh, blown up to the scale that you see uh, down here at the tasting room these days. So,
0: what's your background prior to getting into Bear Creek?
1: Yeah, so I mean, pretty much op- uh, operational management. Okay. So I spent 20 plus years in management, different service industry, restaurants, things of that nature. Um, and then honestly tightened up my friendship with our other business partner, Jeff, at my previous job working with BC Surf and Sports. So okay. yeah, so I've done an array of things, but pretty much all centered around operational management. I mean, it's pretty
0: clear when you come in here during the week, and I know, you know, Jay, you've got kids, obviously. So so at, on weeknights, uh, you're not always here, but I've seen Debo here, you know, a dozen times. You can tell you're running the show. You're kind of uh, uh, keeping things going. What were you doing in that previous job before you got here then?
1: So, I was uh, helping uh, manage pretty much the uh, Colorado stores out here. Okay. So, and then also working actively with like the snow buy. So, I would help give input on hard goods and soft goods for snowboarding. Okay. So, yeah, so helped out with the ordering, but for the most part, had my hands wrapped around. Getting the management teams at each of our stores here in Colorado um, kind of uh, all on the same page and moving forward.
0: Putting the pieces together then. I yep. Guess. So that yep. makes total sense. Okay. And you, good sir, reintroduce yourself.
2: My name is Jay Johnson. Um, I am one of the co founders here at Bear Creek. Okay. Um, I am in charge of handling some of the marketing and uh, outside events. Okay. I'm sort of our, I'll wear whatever hat it takes around here.
0: So you've been in charge with keeping this thing up and running
2: on the socials, then over the last. No, I months. cannot. That you're looking at that man right there. He yeah, handles all that. He like has. That. Uh, we've since the last time we've talked, we've um, expanded our team, our social media team. Yeah. So we have some help. So at least that gives him time to do some some other things some too. But things. it's still in house. So that's perfect. Uh, we're not em- employing anyone outside of the walls. It's it's a guy that we've brought up through the ranks. So, um, yeah. So been here at the very beginning since the very beginning with Debo tell me the
0: story about okay you two how do you two know each other and how do you know the third partner like uh, so
2: jeff and i grew up together and we went to junior okay. high and high school okay. uh, together in lakewood at bear creek high school okay. debo was jeff's buddy jeff's um so jeff and i were on the project starting to build out and just the purchasing process and things like that and he said i have a guy and um uh, first time i met debo I don't think we've shut up since so <laughs> it uh it worked it worked seamlessly how often now that i have both of you here
0: and i wish jeff was here too to ask him how often are you two talking on a daily basis i assume it's, has it hasn't changed since you know covid but what kind of conversations are you having you know all the time do you have weekly meetings do you have daily conversations what's that work how does that work as a partnership
2: well we as have um certainly set meetings monthly but there's rarely a day that goes by that we don't talk I feel like we're actually probably even communicating more now than we did just because I mean you know things were in the normal world before Armageddon things were just humming right along so we all had very specific roles and responsibilities that we were um, responsible to and you know Jeff made the booze Debo ran the tasting room I was out in the streets doing what I do and now we have to get creative so Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a lot of extra time to get more creative. So,
0: Was that something that the three of you kind of knew what your expertise was but as you came together, or was it you started and then you kind of fell into your niche?
1: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, 100% identified our lanes and our roles very early on in the process, just so we weren't, A, doing double the amount of work to get to the same end result, but also just to apply our strengths out into the field as we were growing our brand and the business. And uh, yeah, we identified where those strong suits were and where our comforts lied. And all we've done is kind of expand on that. And then eventually in each one of our own roles, bring in people to help us supplement the full entitlement of that role. So, yeah, we've just kind of come in established positions within the company, and as soon as we're spread thin enough and need that person to be applied to our uh, operation, we'll do that hiring and get them involved in the process. So,
0: do you work together to hire, or if you're doing a, if you're hiring a sales and marketing pro, does Jay take it, or you know, you're doing somebody in the tap house, you take it? How does that work?
1: So, for the most part, I handle the HR. Okay. It's all and always a conversation between the business partners and myself so Jay Jeff and I are most certainly always in dialogue about new team members being applied but more specifically staying ahead of that and identifying those needs and knowing that that person will be eventually brought into the fold but it's the network you know between Jay and I and then even Jeff admittedly um Yeah, we we have a pretty strong network here in Denver, Colorado. So Jay and I lean on that network quite a bit. And we've pretty much have brought in our hires off of that network and out of being out in the field and kind of seeing uh, who's available for those positions as they come up.
0: Okay, makes total sense to me. All right, so so the three of you get together uh, real, you know, again, we're already talking background. We're, We're reintroducing Bear Creek, but I think for folks who haven't listened for a year and a half when you were first on the show, what kind of planning and when did you decide to, to actually start this thing
2: well that would have been back in 2012 okay. uh the summer of 2012 we have um you know the discussion started with hey wouldn't it be cool you know um and we have uh, another partner and he is he, he was basically i wouldn't say he was the fire starter but you know we had these these amazing conversations and we all sort of reignited our friendships after you know many years of dormancy not dormancy but not certainly you know like your best buddies or whatever then we started hanging out again and realized we all had passion and uh, a drive just to get up and and do better every day Mm -hmm. and that turned into a once a month meeting to go exploratory to uh every weekend we'd have a meeting and everyone was sort of assigned uh tasks if you will you know and we went through the whole process of you know it's and if i ever would give someone advice uh that's starting the distillery business in this distillery business rather uh, the things you think of on the first are probably the last things you need to think of in the process like names and labels and all that stuff comes way into the process getting your doors open is the major, major okay. hurdle. So, um, so we went from that and we progressed into, let's look at, start looking at buildings. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that moved super quick. This actually was the first building we toured in person. Okay. And we'd pulled comps on some other buildings that this neighborhood at the time wasn't a whole lot to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got lucky in that respect because this neighborhood's amazing now. Um, but It went from uh not to retract here but basically monthly weekly (laughs) bought a building jeff and i both quitting our jobs i worked for my father-in-law and had to tell him basically that i was not interested in running the business that he built and to be completely fair he you know he raised helped me raise my kids with the food he put on the table So I, i can't knock him for that but it's not something i wanted to do the rest of my life and then so um at that point it we jumped in you know we went basically from knowing nothing to jumping in feet first in a, in an industry that was really relatively new in 2012
0: what was around in 2012 in, in terms of craft spirits here in colorado
2: um so of course you have your your big guys so you had strain hands and leopold brothers okay. at that point al down at laws whiskey house no one knew what he was doing he uh, it was like willy wonka he was in there just filling up whiskey barrels okay Peach Street, Montana, Downslope, um, Mile High Spirits. That's got to be close to about it. Okay. Now, we're I'm jumping I'm missing a few people. Sorry. No, if no, I no. we're jumping
0: ahead. I mean, when I go into a liquor store and I look at local or even craftist you know, Colorado craft distiller, or Colorado craft spirits, I see Bear Creek before I see everybody else. How proud are you, too, of what you've done in those years? Because it's pretty impressive.
2: That's a great feeling to have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I love telling the story of, you know, Jay in 2015, early 2015, rolling around in uh, his car and a bottle of silver rum and a bottle of vodka knocking on doors cold calling trying to sell a product that nobody wants
0: what was it like then because obviously the market is new right the industry is new so when you're selling these things where people are like i don't want a fucking colorado spirit i i got i had this name that i know is that basically the reaction that you got well
2: yes and no i mean especially with the two spirits in the categories that debo mentioned like you go into any big store and there isn't two aisles usually of vodka yeah. And, you yeah. know, like, well, my vodka is a craft vodka. It tastes different than your vodka. it's like, well, but it's also $30. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it was not a very uh, over, it wasn't a warm welcome. But that being said, I was able to really forge some great relationships. And some of those stories you might go into, you know, that hard work five years ago. Um, those people have turned into some of our biggest supporters
0: what did it take to get them on board i mean was it a conversation was it the taste I, Was it just you're a hell of a salesperson
2: um you know i don't even know if that's true honestly okay. um i made f- f- i became friends with these guys yeah like i'd hang out um baseball games you know and mm-hmm. just not even really business just yeah. forming these relationships and the, and the guys now that are helping with our distributors that are actually our employees you know they'll those guys know how tough these guys have it dealing with the public every day. Um, They'll bring them lunch, you know, and just being true to your brand. And I think it was kind of a breath of fresh air that you're not dealing with a huge, big house, a distribution house. Uh So you could really, when I'm in there, I'm only repping me and our brand. I'm not repping, you know, a book's worth of Mm -hmm. products.
0: So, Jumping back to you because I'm guessing you had a, a, a hand in this decision. You have the spot. You're you know you have the business plan. What kind of conversations were you having about what to begin producing first? Because obviously it takes a while to make some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously we wanted to get our clears out yeah. and get some cash flow coming in through the door um, were so you, you worried about sorry were
0: you worried about what that would do to the brand or you guys were okay right?
1: no no, we knew we were gonna be a multi spirit okay. portfolio walking into this so okay. we've stand we have stood by and stand by at this very moment every single product that we put out into the marketplace um, we truly believe that we make a quality craft spirit in each one of those categories so yeah i think uh the idea for us was more getting the cash flow positive and getting people familiar with our brand and our product and honestly sit for those first two years and let that whiskey um, age and kind of get to our flagship product eventually which was going to be that straight bourbon releasing so
0: were were the accounts that you had and the people who were drinking your stuff um, were they hard to switch over from the clears to that kind of barrel aged uh, uh, you know dark stuff
1: No, I think, honestly, people were so ready for the whiskeys to be a part of our portfolio that they were just as excited. And honestly, it's only helped push our vodkas and our rums into the market. And honestly, our rum shakes up the wells behind every single bar in the city of Denver right now. So we are very proud of our rum products between our spiced, our cast strength rum and that silver rum. I mean, we have three fantastic rums locally made right here in Denver, Colorado. So
0: when did you know you had something, I guess, not just in the clears, but also in the, in the darks, uh, that was gonna, that was gonna be revered, um, especially, and we'll talk about price point here in a second, but especially, you know,
2: I think we still surprise ourselves sometimes.
1: (laughs) You know, I like to tell people when I'm giving them tours, you know, back behind me in the bar here, there's a little one liter barrel up there that, you know, Jeff was aging some of his, you know, products made prior to us getting opened and getting them to us. And, you know, it's just like any friend who tells you that they're now taking on cooking or home brewery or anything like that, and you're like, they want you to try their new products, and you're like, I cannot wait to destroy this dude and tell him how <laughs> horrible this product is. Yeah. And then you're like, wait a second, this rum is delicious. And my eyesight's actually getting better and not getting worse. So <laughs> I think you're onto something here. And I think that's what was the catalyst to Taking this project from a small scale to the 2,000-liter hybrid pot column still we have in use now. So,
0: what has surprised you in terms of the product specifically, and about you know I guess drinker trends over the last three years uh, that that really kind of obviously it was a surprise you didn't see coming. Anything particular that stands out?
2: Um, I guess on the whiskey sides, our wheat whiskeys really are sort of getting some legs underneath it. Okay. Uh, when we released that, gosh, what was that, four, five years ago, six years ago, almost?
1: Four and a half, five, yeah.
2: F- five years ago, um, people, when you put it up there against the rye, you know, people are relatively familiar with rye, yeah. and they tasted that wheat, and they were like, what is that? And we've just watched that little engine that could mm-hmm. get to the point that we're allocated on that product. Mm-hmm. And it's you're starting to see people accept the wheat, Really getting into the weeded bourbons, mm-hmm. people a lot of times didn't realize they were actually drinking weeded bourbon all along. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd have to say the wheat whiskey, Bear Creek specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, speaking on more of a macro scale, uh, I, people are starting to welcome rum a little bit more. Okay. I mean, we've always been rum nerds, but yeah. You know, you to st- see people that are actually coming back going, Oh, this isn't like the time I got hammered in Jamaica, you know.
0: Is that cyclical, you know, those kind of uh, the certain kinds of,
2: of, of liquors? I yeah. would think so. I mean bourbon was dead, what, thirty years 30, ago?
1: Yeah. I I all of them kind of have their, their time in the light, right? Okay. So yeah, very cyclical and rum's about to shine. I mean, you're gonna see rum on the forefront really, for probably half a decade and you're gonna be able to access and enjoy some really, really, really good rums. Knowing that you do your marketing in-house and your, and your
0: social in-house, how do you, Debo, kind of think through this in terms of threading a consistency across Bear Creek Right. And all of the different uh, uh, spirits that you create, but also having unique enough, you know, uh, social media posts or uh, uh, ads or this kind of stuff. Like, how do you balance that? Because it's different kinds of drinkers, I would assume.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, seasonally, approach it seasonally, 100 percent, approach it on releases that are going to be approaching the marketplace as well. But for the most part, just try and highlight, um, you know, the spirits that are going to have the most relevancy to cocktail menus and home use during those uh, different times. Like obviously right now, it's a great time to be pushing rum and, you know, kind of lighter vodka cocktails. Um, Whereas we get into, you know, deeper into the year and start getting into Q4 and we're going to start pushing out more uh, posts about bourbons and whiskeys and getting those drinkers kind of in tune. But yeah, it's uh, kind of uh, dictating uh, where the marketplace is and seasonally uh, usually is what's gearing
0: that. Tell us about these things that are in front of the camera. What what is what am I looking at?
1: Yeah, so that's uh that's been the uh, the uh, <laughs> the birth child of our to go program right there. Okay. Now that we've been closed to the public since uh, March fifteenth. Um, we have uh, developed and ran with a pretty robust to go cocktail program. So yeah, we're doing eight-ounce uh, honey bear containers with usually about one to almost two servings in those and then we're doing larger format 750s for you know if you got that backyard barbecue and maybe a couple friends coming over that you can share with I dig it And the program's been great um, our support from you know our local um, customers has been fantastic and um, could not be happier with that so kind of happy to see the consistency. Honestly, we've been doing it for three months now and almost every weekend, I can tell you exactly how many cocktails we're gonna move and we'll see some new faces every weekend and very much so see some uh, consistent regulars as well, so.
0: All right, let's talk about the the elephant in the room then. Um, When do these come, okay, so. Before we started recording, I think the three of us are on the same page in terms of our very conservative approach to COVID-19. And I don't mean politically conservative. I mean, you know, we wanna stay safe and keep our, our loved ones safe. With that said, at what point in kind of late winter, early spring, did you three start having conversations about what might happen? Was it a surprise or were you kind of tuned in knowing your background and your, what your wife does? When did this start?
2: um I want to say honestly my wife is certainly not um and I think I said this when I was on the uh we did a quick podcast a zoom call yes she told me at the end of February we need to go to the store and I said why and she's like we need water we need candles we need batteries and she knew in February just with the forecasting models and so I told I came into work one day and I said guys it might be a good time just to go to the store and get some extra p- provisions and within a week and a half, we were shut down. So it, we started having those conversations probably earlier than most people did. Okay. Um, Debo and I had a conversation earlier and I remember, I think it was in March, we had one of our owners meetings and he said, at least July. That's, that's how long we were gonna be under these spe- specific conditions. And we were just talking about how we kind of, that was a bit of tongue in cheek, you know? And yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we're thinking, 2021 uh-huh. to two yeah so w- we knew early on and that didn't make it any easier to deal with
0: what were you saying to your staff i mean how are you how are you preparing we can take this week by week if you want month yeah, by month
1: yeah no, i mean it's you, you know, know kind of the the trajectory of it was you know end of february preparing people for what could possibly happen looking at some different worldwide models of how some other countries were handling things and really just kind of preparing them for inevitably what could be the worst, and that's them losing their jobs. And you know, we made that responsible decision to close to the public that you know second week of March. And you know, I think that we just have been nothing but transparent and very honest. And honestly at the end of the day, we've let our entire staff both employees that are no longer on our uh, payroll, and also people who are still uh, working for us every single day, their health and safety are our priority. And at the end of the day, that's been our operational model for what we're doing as far as being open to the public is we wanna protect ourselves and the public at every extension.
0: How okay? What kind of uh, research were you doing in terms of of uh, unemployment insurance and this kind of stuff? Because I'm sure I'm sure you know knowing you well enough that that your employees probably come to you to and ask questions. You know, what do I do? Did you have to make any difficult choices or have any conversations where it's you know, it's better to lay you off and you get on unemployment than it is to try to keep you on for twenty twenty hours a week?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm a numbers guy at the right. end of the day, so it's making those numbers transparent yeah. for the staff and letting them know what it looks like. And I know what unemployment is like, as not personally, but definitely as far as the structure and how it works. Mm-hmm. So being able to present those numbers in real time to them and let them make responsible decisions based upon that. And honestly, you know, we were able to keep all of our full-time employees except for one person that we just brought back a month ago. Okay and we had to let go of a handful of part-time employees so all of those employees for the most part had other jobs as well so either were still employed waiting for their next stages at those jobs and you know unfortunately we did have a couple people who you know like most denverites are splitting their 40 to 60 hours a week between two three jobs Mm -hmm. and we were one of those two to three jobs so i think those were the employees that the conversations were the hardest and still difficult to have those conversations. And we are still in touch with everybody, try and hop on Zoom calls, mm-hmm. keep them up to date with what we're doing, where this is all headed, where the research is landing, um, and just kind of uh, keeping them abreast of what we're going to do as a company moving forward. So that's been, I think for the most part, we're a family. Yeah. So we talk like a family and the hard facts are the hard facts. and. They know 100% that we'll go to bat and bend over backwards for any single person that is employed here at Bear Creek Distillery.
0: How many folks have you kept on here uh, at, at the, uh, the, you know, the room? I guess how many do you have working now here you know at the bar?
1: So now that we brought um, that full-time employee back just recently, we have uh, three full-time employees. Okay essentially working in the tasting room so our tasting room manager our assistant tasting room manager Megan and Alex and then Tom is now back helping them so I don't have to be here on the weekends helping them with the program so okay. um I that
0: first two months what were you seeing in terms of sales numbers at liquor stores you know obviously let's not talk about let's pivot real quick we'll come back to this but we're, we're was it flying off the shelves was it sitting there what were you seeing
2: so and feel free to step in here but we what we saw at the beginning, you know, especially when we had the two-hour prohibition yeah. uh, that yeah. the mayor put on us, um, yeah. people were basically scooping handles of booze off the wall yeah. or off the shelf. So <laughs> I think it was one of them. Yeah, <laughs> so you, had, you had a lot of a lot of macro um, distilled products that were getting snatched up, but sales were still good for us. Yeah. Um, we really saw an uptick in the early summer. Okay. Uh, June in particular I think people realized that like okay well now that we can still choose we have freedom of choice and we don't need to bulk buy yeah. uh, people started uh, really focusing in um, Straight Bourbon had a great month that particular month we sold four single barrels in a single month Wow! Uh, so people were really out looking for those particular store picks mm-hmm. um, so that, that was fun as far as you know June and July we can't complain uh, out in the yeah. marketplace things have been good
1: yeah i mean as far as outside sales you know to lose 40 percent of your business through restaurants and bars being closed and still be able to put up numbers that you know help the company it shows kind of you know honestly at the end of the day and we thought about this a lot but you know alcohol is one of those recession proof uh factors out there so people are going to drink you know and i think that we were able to kind of uh, uh, see that in the marketplace through specifically May, June and you know July. Are you able to get those to go not from here, but from restaurant partners? So we have different programs in place okay. with some of our vendors that we've helped with. Um, it's not the exact same program, but we're definitely making sure that our on-premise accounts that want to dive into a to-go cocktail program have access to us mm-hmm. and our skill set to help them in any way possible.
0: Is that something, is the to-go cocktail something that can last? Well, I guess first, can it can it keep a craft distillery afloat? And I, I, you all are, a rather you're more successful than I think a lot of folks, but you know, if you're a startup, can it keep you afloat? And is it long-term?
2: Honestly, in my heart of hearts, I mean, of course it's a part of the puzzle, right? Right. Um, so if you were completely reliant on that, uh, now, I mean, if you've opened in the last year and a half and you're leaning on your tasting room, you're probably not in the greatest of positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm only speaking with our experience here. But the common sense and knowing what we know about the business and the friends that we have in the business mm-hmm. could be could be trouble for some. But yeah. I do I do see cocktails to go in general uh, here and even you know from cocktail bars. Yeah. I think it's going to be around. It's so around for a year, but it'll probably move past that. I would think. Okay,
0: I mean that. I would. I, I. I. I hate to say assume, but there's a really good chance that we don't just go back into restaurants even when this thing blows over, right? So, yeah, I mean, the eight, eighteen months from now, I have no reason to think that that still wouldn't be up and running. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's other states already um, lobbying for and getting permanency for to-go cocktails. Mm-hmm. So, I think. Colorado being as forward thinking as we are, if you see a state like Iowa put to go cocktails into permanency, we won't be far behind that. That makes total sense.
0: What
2: do you have anything to add? You
1: good on that? Yeah, no, I'm good. I mean, I guess
2: you know, the other sort of uh, thing we're keeping an eye on is uh, being able to ship direct to consumer. Okay, and that would, I mean, you're basically taking our Colorado focus with a couple of states sprinkled in, and you're t- you're basically opening up the entire nation for a marketplace.
0: When in order for that to happen, um, what are you doing? Are you uh, is it a lobbyist that you ha- you know is an industry kind of lobbyist that's out, up there and you know talking to folks or right. Is this is this multi-state? I guess it has to be multi-state, right? To get this,
2: uh, i miss th- the direct to consumer. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah, it's multi-state. We've already had some states down in the southeast. Okay. Pass it. So, we'll we'll see it getting more to the forefront right now, but it's it's lobbying at its finest level, so locally here with our guild and mm-hmm. then nationally with the guilds we work with as well.
2: Yep. yep. We've got a strong guild in Colorado. Okay. Uh, Distiller's Guild.
0: Macro 30,000 foot uh view. What has this done to the craft spirit industry? Um we hear, you know, obviously you guys know as well as I do craft beer uh, breweries are probably gonna start shutting down you know once we stop having this this unemployment insurance in particular uh what 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 have you seen happen and what do you predict happen whether that be in terms of business operations and trends or you know I guess what what we can expect in terms of quality what 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 are you what are you seeing
2: um you know I think I credit Debo for being very forward thinking and very good at forecasting and we address, we, we adjusted our price structure um, and our pricing structure does, it looks more like a say a, uh, an established brand out of Kentucky or mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. you know so our prices are reasonable and I think that's one of the reasons that we've been so successful in this particular situation that we're all in. Um, you know i don't think people and we've said this all along are going to be nearly as willing to spend a paycheck on a bottle of whiskey yeah or half their paycheck yeah so i think some of the more boutique aspects of craft distilling and maybe even some of the collecting where people collect particular bottles and stuff like that you might start to see that go towards the back burner okay
0: so you don't think that those folks are kind of insulated from I, I don't myself included I mean to be frank right and probably all of us here you know we can't afford to get a 70 or 80 bottle of whiskey when we want it we're not and we're probably not going to buy a bottle of Jack Daniels we could spend the extra 10 right and get something much better so but you do predict that maybe it's going to have an impact on that market. that's my opinion okay yeah
1: right. and I, th- I mean I think the you know the consumer as a whole is going to kind of dictate where the market's going to fall but As far as like the industry as a whole, like looking at it like that, I mean, I wouldn't want to be starting right now. I wouldn't want to be in my first year and I wouldn't even want to be thinking about opening a distillery. But I think we're going to see just like the craft beer industry here and specifically the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Some people won't be here at the other side of this. And that's just the simple, plain truth of that. And, you know, I think that you're probably going to see the people who were able to pivot, adjust, get creative, and establish and maintain their customer base are going to be the people who are going to be here on the other side of all of this.
0: Have you seen a certain uh, type of liquor selling more in the last four months? Not be, like, Can you separate the data from the seasonal data, I guess? Are you seeing a trend?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, like Jay just said, and with June, you know, <laughs> we had a... Killer month with straight bourbon. Okay, so so to push out, and that's not normal, I would assume. In June, I mean, it's 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 a good month, but to have the response to the single barrels, in addition to our natural growth, and that skew, yeah, it yeah. was a significant amount of bourbon for June. Um, it's something that you're seeing more in Q4 numbers, mm-hmm. um, but. Again, um, you're going to hear me profess and speak on rum to the day I die, and our silver rum, and it's just crazy out there, and just watching that skew grow um, in the amount or in the right time of season, mm-hmm. but also just in growth in, in, in succession as well.
0: Yes. Um, can we talk about price point again real quick, because I think when you see a Bear Creek bottle, on the shelves, I can understand how a lot of people will go, you know, is, the, is, it, is it high quality? Is it, is it you know, um, what makes it $10 better than a Jack Daniels or $15 better? I'm not saying this to kiss your ass. It's one of my favorite whiskeys for sure, any of them, right, quite honestly, and, and, and the clears. And so, what kind of conversation, how did you decide on that? How about that? How did you decide on the price point? How did you decide to not go to 65, 70?
2: <laughs> that we, was we, a conversation <laughs> that we had, to be okay. fair. Okay. Um, you know, I. You can't start low and then change your price high, right? Yeah. So from the very beginning, we nudged a little bit more on the expensive side, so we could correct that. And um, th- th- I guess there was a lot of factors behind that, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jay nailed it, and that's been our mantra. You know, with pricing in general, mm-hmm. is just yeah. As soon as you establish a price point on something, good luck making that a higher price point and holding on to your customer base with that, whereas you can start high and work yourself down into a reasonable price point that fits the marketplace accordingly. And that's what we did. And we established a customer base with a higher price point with limited product. And as product became more available to us Mm -hmm. and the market was shifting more towards craft spirits being purchased off of shelves in regularity. Mm we got that price in line with the consumer to make it a no-brainer choice if you're looking at and speaking to macro distilleries compared to us as a smaller craft distillery that difference in price you could walk in here in any day and know exactly where that extra cost is going to um, both in production and staff ingredients Mm -hmm. production and process Um, so i think that locally and luckily we're in a very robust craft market in denver colorado but people support the fact that you have one to two degrees separation of knowing the producer of your products and i think that that's where people are willing to throw that extra ten dollars at a bottle of bear creek and be very proud about having that bottle of bear creek on their back home bar
2: well that and i mean at any given point when you come in like to validate your point we have Yelp and Google reviews. It was like, I was so cool. I met one of the owners, and he sat down and talked to us for 20 minutes about, you know, the, the process and, and where they came from and where they're planning on going. I mean, those touches are invaluable, really. I mean...
0: How timely, then, that you opened when you did, because I would argue that now that isn't as uncommon as it probably was when you started, to be able to go and talk to your distiller, right? Because there are a lot of them, right? Going and talking to your brewer, all of this. So would that obviously it had to play a part in the success that you've had, right? Is the, the novelty of that relationship
2: true? to that, you know, and we, um, especially on the sales side of things, I, I think I would put them up against anybody. Mm-hmm. They're all very personable, have each individual personalities that, you know, it, it's, it's fun to watch those guys work mm-hmm. and coming from, you know, the father, I, I'm a father of, in, just watching I have very fatherly tendencies with these guys and just to watch them do the same job differently is super cool but we bought or we bought we uh hired those guys for their particular skill sets right yeah we did not buy them we did not buy those guys um so (laughs) clarify that personal touch you're gonna get and to be fair there's some really amazing awesome characters in the booze biz in Colorado yeah you know um just Ryan Nagley, the guy is basically the whiskey ambassador for the entire state. And he's worked for a couple different uh, companies. But, like, even Philip down at 291, I mean, these are guys that are committed to their passion mm-hmm. and really do a great job. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, agreed. I think that, you know, holding on to and, you know, watching our team perform has, uh, you know, been the the – Kind of highlight in going to distribution and just watching again it gets back to the network and speaking to the successes that we were hitting on earlier as far as like how are we able to build those relationships with doors it's because we're real people having real conversations trying to develop real relationships with people and that's paid off tremendously in our 600 plus accounts
0: so you have another building that is now purchased it wasn't around when when we were here no we've had
2: it for we bought it last July okay
0: and what is the where is it and what's the what's the the functionality what's the intent of it
2: so it's two doors down from us Um, it is a dedicated secondary rack house
0: okay okay so where where were you everything's in the back here right or has been yeah you're such a massive distillery now that you have to have another one right you guys are big boys now?
1: Well, it's uh, you know, you get to a point of telling uh, so many outside markets, no, we can't open you up because we don't have enough whiskey. Okay. You know, Jay mentioned earlier on allocation, you know, we're at 2023 into 2024 allocated on the 300 wow. plus barrels we have in the back right now. So... Having this additional rack house to put yeah. down approximately you know, 1,200 additional barrels, it'll give us the uh, inventory to start making some different moves. And in all honesty, keep growing Colorado in our backyard first because we sure. want everybody to have as much Colorado-made whiskey as they can get in hand. I would like to right see here.
0: this be the well whiskey. At every every the well liquor everything right across preach. the state preach right? but i mean it makes total sense and then you still have you know friends like ours at lock and co where if you do want that extra weight you can go ahead and get that too you know like absolutely it would, it'd be nice for everybody and all of our friends to, to find it um um i gotta i want to ask this before we kind of wrap up debo you first what are you most scared of um business-wise in the next 12 months what, what keeps you up at night?
1: Oh, Too man. Funny. Boy, boy. All right. How long do you say we have?
0: Well, we uh, don't, we, yeah. we're in no rush. I, mean, uh, I, can't, I can't imagine being in your no, shoes. No, it's,
1: uh, you know, in all honesty, I'm such a f- person that bases just about everything I do on forecasting. Yeah. And looking at models doing projections and really trying to make the best decisions for myself and specifically our company Mm -hmm. to drive us forward. Um, I think the thing that scares me the most and keeps me up hours and hours at night is the uncertainty of everything that's happening. Typically, any problem you're presented with in the service industry that I've been in for almost 30 years, I can get to a solution because I know what's going on. I can follow regulations. I know guidelines. I've been operationally sound for that long that I can make proper decisions. Right now, with the confusion, the cloudiness, and the uncertainty from top levels coming down, it's really, really tough for us to make decisions that predict what this business is going to look like in six months and i think that that's the hardest part is the clouding uncertainty that hangs over the daily process and the daily decisions being made around here
0: at what level i guess is that uncertainty uh, impacting you the most is it the federal level the state level the local level what, what is it
1: you know i, I, I would say honestly just to start in the backyard Locally Locally. and you know, and not to beat it up because I think that Denver and Colorado has done a fantastic job in all honesty I just think that it's very confusing um, that certain players within our service industry Take it upon themselves to make their own decisions that don't necessarily align with the guidelines that have been put in place because not only is that putting our public at a certain amount of risk it's also not allowing people as myself and bear creek distillery to be operating correctly under those guidelines because we're choosing to make the right decisions i think that's the hardest part is locally not having a clear enough enforced message coming across to the service industry as a whole
0: what would that look like if you could i mean i, I i'm not asking you to critique anybody right but i mean obviously you've been in this for a while you two run a business the jeff's not here the three of you what changes would you like to see made just to provide some certainty to allow you to move forward?
1: Yeah, I think right now, you know, specifically speaking to the fact that bars without food not operating as a restaurant cannot be open right now. Yeah. I think that that just kind of speaks to the socialness that they're trying to keep kind of corralled in okay. and allowing restaurants to be open because they're serving food and have alcohol as well is not keeping people from being overly social or making bad decisions because they're being fed food. Yeah. Now, do I yeah. think that a curfew could be in place and bars necessarily don't need to be open till 2 a.m. that aren't serving food? Certain things like that could be, be probably put in place to help some of our tasting rooms throughout the state of Colorado be open, operating normally and responsibly and possibly, truthfully, probably even following stricter guidelines than some of these places that are open right now in the city of Denver.
0: Is there not enough, uh, uh, you know, bodies, I suppose, to police, that kind of stuff? I mean, if that were to happen, would you, what does that look like? Do you have regulators going around and looking at bars every night? And I mean, they're
2: supposed, they're supposed, they're supposed to, to, be. to be, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah and
1: okay. you're saying right now too, just if you were with no enforcement, just following normal guidelines that have been put in place, your ratio of customer to employee, your employee numbers gone up just to follow normal guidelines. Okay. So that's with no enforcement. So I think that you're gonna have to find, you know, staff at doorways, making sure that masks are on and in place.
2: Yeah. And even just speaking on the tasting just the sheer management of of your guests. People get a couple drinks in them and they start sitting at different tables and you know, it's to echo what Debo said, as far as uncertainty, it's hard to make a plan when the, the directive changes every two to three weeks. Yeah, I mean, you've got guys that uh, guys and gals, people that will, that have spent a ton of money on renting furniture to create these outdoor patios. And then, well, you're not serving food, so you can't be open. And so it's just, it's it stops and starts and it's it fits yeah. and you know it's no one's fault. I mean, it, but the
0: but the market's fine. Wall Street's fine.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Like that. that's
0: really that's the Some economy are is that right? Rate, like my, yeah. The S and yeah. P five hundred is just the economy.
1: Right? Yep. The same
2: thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So boy, don't get me started. Bro. You so, know, I
1: I really do think that you know we're gonna get back to some semblance of normalcy. It's just going to take some time. And I really do think that we'll probably have some, you know, maybe some more responsible players, you know, on the other side of this. But if we don't start making some proactive decisions to get these smaller mom-and-pop locations open back up to the public, I, I don't, I don't want to live in a world like that where, you know, the top five are dictating what we eat and drink. Yeah. So. We got to figure out a way to make this, you know, responsibly approached, and making sure that you know we're keeping everybody as healthy and safe as possible as we do it.
0: I mean, it sure seems like folks like us are—we're really trying to keep the mom and pops up and running, but the the headwinds are going the opposite way. You know, when it when it comes to keeping a Bear Creek or a, a, a you know a Tivoli Brewing Company or something like that, you know, alive and drinking their beer and so that kind of stuff. But um, Jay, what are you what are you most scared of? Boy, um, it could be personal too. Yeah, no, I mean you know, honestly, her,
2: uh, you know, we had the discussion. I'm, my kids. Yeah. You know, um, people that we work with here. I don't want them to get sick. Yeah. It's. Sorry.
0: No, you're good, man. It's uh, it's every day it gets more frustrating, and it's hard to take a breath and relax a little bit, especially. And I don't even know if it's the news; it's the numbers. You know, you're just reading straight facts, and it's as if we had a chance to really turn this thing around or to turn down the knob and we just fucked it up
2: which is that you're, and you we're nailed it constantly bombarded with negative yeah negative information yeah you
1: yeah. know and i think that even speaking jay and i said this earlier but root of it all is let's just get back to being good people to each other <laughs> yeah. and honestly if you can't accept that dogma and put that mantra into your daily process I don't know, you probably have bigger problems than COVID to worry about, yeah, it's, honestly. It's probably you. So yeah, I yeah. think we just need to get back to good people are good people are good people and just treat people like you want to be treated. And yeah. I think that we'll get back to, you know, something normal at some point. Yeah,
0: I know. I um, talk about this a lot just in class and with students and other professors. It's, it's almost as if, though, that negativity has been justified. It's been legitimated, if that makes sense, right? Um, that rhetoric is now acceptable. And just being a good person, you don't have to be, right? No, I can be right. an asshole and nobody's gonna tell me I'm an asshole, so, or they're gonna tell me an asshole, and I just don't have to care. I mean, it's, it's frustrating, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's
2: Truth. no um, social uh, responsibility on an individual level. People are, I mean, we had the conversation, you know, how many people do you see just not even stopping at red lights anymore, yeah. or stop signs? You know, they're just like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. And it's just, it's a complete, you're seeing a complete breakdown in (laughs) it just in humanity and it's that's what i'm worried about like yeah yeah i just wanted to um you know raise good kids and run a business and be with my friends and drink some whiskey play golf every now and again and you know it doesn't take much to make me happy (sighs) for
0: sure um do you have any closing comments remarks anything before we wrap this thing up
1: i mean For me, again, just getting back to the basics of it is just making sure that, you know, people are just kind of understanding that, you know, that this isn't a, you know, an attack on anybody personally ever. This is just about us all just doing the right thing at the right time. And at the end of the day, if you can look out at your community and you can see the doors that aren't operating fully and the robustness of our, you know, commerce and that activity happening, then I think we need to really address some other issues. So I really do think that, you know, we're gonna get back to normal, things are gonna be okay. And, you know, thankfully, you know, we do have outlets as businesses to try and keep our, you know, I think our community captive and engaged with us. And in all honesty, we're just gonna try and do the right thing, you know, to try and, uh, you know, when we do get these doors open back up to the public, that we're more than prepared for it. And we make sure that every single customer that comes in here feels like they're taken care of and don't feel threatened by the ongoings. Jay? Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, change is uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I think the United States and Colorado, we have a really unique opportunity to make change. Yeah. And we need to learn from this Yeah, and come out better on the other side.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: <sighs> it's... I think we'll close up shop there. Bear Creek Distillery on all the socials, correct?
1: Yep, st- yep. at still Bear Creek on that, uh, on that uh, Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> yeah,
0: I forgot about the, twi- the Twitter machine. And you can get the sauce basically anywhere in town. Where, I mean, outside of, of Denver um you're still just in colorado right are you outside
2: of we sprinkle a very limited amount i would i let's just say we're in colorado <laughs> okay
1: all right yeah if you're ever in jackson hole you might find <laughs> us up there but uh best way to find us is uh bearcreekdistillery.com upper right hand corner there's a find button Okay. Hit that and you can type in your address down to your city and it'll show you every single Bear Creek vendor that's located near you. Um, You know, I suggest you call them and make sure they have the product you're looking for just uh, so you're not down there looking for a highly allocated product that they don't have. But uh, yeah, BearCreekDistillery.com.
0: One more question for you then. Once I have my bottle, what is your favorite cocktail right now? that you have Ooh. made and have put up on the socials. What's, what's, what's tasty right I, now on a degree day?
1: I literally just told Jay this before yep. we started the podcast, but, uh, yeah, I came up with and created a, a grilled lemonade. Um, mm-hmm. so I make a house made grilled lemonade where I actually grill the lemons and then juice them. Okay. So it's a, uh, grilled lemonade, uh, straight bourbon cocktail that on these hundred degree days of that back patio with the proper amount of ice cubes, uh, real real tasty and refreshing so So wait
0: what how am i how am i gonna make it i gotta get my lemons so so
1: if you were gonna be at home and honestly you just wanted to uh get a little crafty in the kitchen and on your grill um just cut your lemons in half give them a light sear on your grill so they catch a mark and catch a little bit of that caramelization let them sit and cool down um and then juice them like you normally would and use some of the uh extra juice that is rested in the pan to make your lemonade so Fresh lemon juice, a little bit of simple syrup, a little water, and then straight bourbon. You're good to go. Oh, my God.
0: Jay Johnson. Debo, what is your real name?
1: We're not going to say that on (laughs) there.
0: Debo uh thank you guys so it's derek right Is that no. No? no it starts with a d no, that's no. all we're saying dave it's dave no. uh, okay guys thank you so much as always it's great to see you um i appreciate the honesty uh i appreciate the humility that you bring to the show and, and what you do for the community and folks go find some bear creek whatever whiskey uh, vodka rum i need to buy a bottle of rum on my way out of here uh so, gentlemen thank you so much
2: thank
1: you buddy. absolutely it's great to see you again
0: all right be safe take
1: care guys Oh,